Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Or dare. You remember that? Truth or dare. Probably played it as a kid. Hopefully not playing it as an adult. How about truth or consequences? So truth or consequences, uh, more a conversational game than truth or dare, but also a reality in which we live moment by moment. Because ideas have consequences. Bad ideas have bad consequences. Um, truth or consequences, come to find out it's actually a town in New Mexico. Did you know that? I mean, there's actually people living in a place called truth or consequences. Apparently locals just call it T or C, which in my house growing up would have been Tiana or Carmen. So there you go. Uh, truth or consequences. We are all in a bit of a game of truth or dare, and we're all living in a nation of truth with consequences. We are living in a time when many, many people consider down to be up and up to be down and completely fabricated stories to be fact. Uh, Just ask yourself this for a moment. Is milk milk? Can you count on milk being milk? No, not exactly. Because people are allowed to call things milk that are not actually derivative of, you know, like an animal that produces milk. We milk all kinds of things now. We milk almonds. Um, how about meat? Is meat meat? Well, not necessarily. There, There is meat now on the market or things that are marketed as meat that are actually not, by definition, meat. Now, this will get very quickly into a conversation about delusion and the way that we as people buy into ideas that are, in fact, not true. How we believe things because they have either been told to us by people who have some authority and or repeated so frequently that we have simply come to accept that they're true, that they're fact. Think about evolution just for a moment. Um, if, If you hear someone say uh, that something is, you know, billions of years old, You have to ask yourself, first of all, where do they get that information? Um, How could it ever possibly be verified? And is it true? And what does it mean for something to be true? Factually true? True based on the science available to us at the time? Um, True in terms of the transcendent reality of truth? So truth as that which is aligned with Reality, ultimate reality, persistent reality, the reality of who God is because God is true, true truth. I remember when I was in Rotary, this goes back a number of years. I remember when I was in Rotary each week prior to the meeting, we we stood, we recited the Pledge of Allegiance um, to the flag of the United States of America. And then we recited what, you know, I, I don't remember the name of this. I'll call it the Rotary Pledge. Is it the truth? 
Is it fair to all concerned? Will it build goodwill and better friendships? Will it be beneficial to all concerned? These are really four great questions to ask yourself related to anything. And it starts with, is it the truth? But the truth gets more and more difficult to pin down today. And, and I'm just going to readily admit that. We have national brands declaring scientifically false information as fact. And we have a problem of systemic delusion. When people believe that they are entitled to their own truth or their own set of facts, when members of the news reporting media offer very partisan opinion as if it is journalism, as if it's information, then we are all led deeper and deeper down into what Lewis Carroll uh, called the rabbit hole in Alice in Wonderland. Also what George Orwell describes in his book 1984, where war is peace and freedom is slavery and ignorance is strength. So are we living in Orwell's 1984? Is this Lewis Carroll's wonderland? Sometimes it can feel like it. But remember this. Feelings are a terrible barometer of the truth. And as Christians, we are people of the truth. So in pursuit of the truth, we are going to dig into the question of QAnon. I told you we were going to find someone with whom we could talk about this um, because I readily admit I'm not an expert. So Andrew McDonald from the Billy Graham Center at Wheaton is up next. We'll be right back. McDonald. Andrew uh, serves at Wheaton at the Billy Graham Center Institute as the associate director. Um, Andrew, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Well, it's wonderful to have you. All right. So this conversation grows out of our need um, to understand just the range of things that might be meant when we hear or see a reference to Q or QAnon in the media or in our social media feeds. So I'd love to start with this. Assume I know nothing about QAnon. The, the, oh, the first time I heard it was when the president of the United States was asked about it in a debate. That, assume that's the first I ever heard about it. What do I need to know about QAnon? Yeah, it's it's a it's a good question. It's definitely catching some people off guard. There are there, there's such a wide variety of knowledge where some people know a lot about QAnon, and some people are like, "What in the world is this thing that all of a sudden is at the very forefront of our national conversation?" So it's it's a great starting point. Um, so QAnon is one of a broad series of conspiracy theories that have kind of popped up on the kind of varying shades of internet forums over the last few years. Uh, so conspiracy theories date way further back, but in the last four or five years or so, they've started to pick up bigger steam on uh, places like 4chan, which is a, a forum on the internet, um, similar to Reddit, but a little bit more uh, deeper into uh, uh, the internet. But Q, uh, QAnon started basically in around October 2017, and it was a series of what they called drops, uh, but messages by a poster claiming to be this person, Q, who claimed to be somebody who was in uh, the U.S. government with high up military clearance. Uh, and they would drop little uh, posts or what they call Q drops or breadcrumbs, which were kind of posted in cryptic language around 
what they thought was going to be a, a uh, kind of a, a revolution mounted by Trump and some other uh, key allies in the U.S. government to root out what they called the deep state or part of the Democrat establishment that had existed past Donald Trump's election and uh, were then working to undermine him and undermine the U.S. Uh, nation as a whole. And so QAnon was uh, this person who claimed to have this experience and he would – or have this, have this uh, security clearance, and he would tell you that things were going to be happening. Um, sometimes these were related to specifically to Hillary Clinton um, and her campaign in 2016. Other times they were related to other key figures that were in the uh, immediately in the in the debate or the consciousness, like James Comey. Um, when the uh, when the impeachment trial was going on, there were figures in related to that that were uh, wrapped into this. But over time, this these Q uh, drops have picked up in both their intensity and in their uh, breadth. More and more people have begun to believe that Q is this person who actually has this uh, security clearance and is able to then give us behind-the-scenes insights. So over time, Q has given us several uh, what they call prophecies or, or ideas about what's going to be coming down the pipeline. Very, very frequently do these kind of manifest in any kind of way of actually coming true. But the thing about conspiracy theories are that oftentimes they, uh, you can bend anything that's happened into reinforcing and solidifying the conspiracy. All right. And is it fair to say that although not based on fact, there's, there's sometimes enough there there to lead a person who wants to believe, who wants to believe that the change that, that they are experiencing personally or we are experiencing as a culture um, must be the work of some evil cabal because we like to have someone to blame. So that there's enough there there in terms of people's personal experience to want to believe such things. That's a complicated, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's kind of a mess of a question, but hopefully you can try that, to see what I'm getting at. That's okay. It's kind of a messy hairball of, of an idea here. So kind of pulling back the strands one, one piece at a time is difficult, and there's never going to be anybody who's fully satisfied with the depiction of it and say, well, you missed this one part or you missed this other part. But you're right. It keys in on several underlying uh, anxieties that we might feel in our life uh, that, that they appeal to, that Q appeals to. One, you're right, is that it gives you something as an opposing force. It gives you something to say, these people are to blame for what's going on. These people are evil and we're fighting back. One of the things that Q does is that it often uh, laces into a lot of its conspiracy theories the idea of sex trafficking. Um, and this idea that these people behind the deep state or behind uh, these, this evil cabal in, in the government uh, are also trafficking in children in, in the sex trade. And they take something like that that is so evil and wicked uh, in sex trafficking, and they use that as a, as a leverage to pull people in. Because when you see something like that, you think, that's evil, and I need to stand against that. But then they lace it into these other conspiracies as well. And so it, it becomes hard to peel back at it because when you say, well, that's not true, uh, and there's no evidence to support that, then it sounds like you're trying to protect sex trafficking, um, which right. is a very easy way of, of protecting yourself from the criticism. So that's one piece that they, that they lace in this, this opposing force of, of animosity and, and such that it's good to oppose. The other one is, is that they take advantage of a lot of the 
polarization that we're currently feeling in culture. I think anybody could tell, anyone in your audience today could say that they feel that the U.S. culture, politics, is way more politicized than it's ever been. Uh, the lines are, are, are divided very strongly between left and right. And so people are more willing to believe things about the other side that are able to demonize them and be able to feed into that polarization than we might have been earlier. Yeah, uh, politicization leads to uh, polarization, leads to uh, demonization. I mean, I think that that is a, mm-hmm. it's a syllogism that is often followed, even just in our personal relationships. It's super duper dangerous. All right. Andrew McDonald and I are going to continue this conversation in just a moment. He's the assistant director of the Billy Graham Center at Wheaton. We are talking today about QAnon. We're also going to now shift a little bit and talk about Christians. Um, and how, as people of the truth, we must engage in this conversation. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, when you see or read or come across QAnon statements, and you see in the messianic or satanic references, you see it couched as good versus evil, pause and ask yourself, pause and ask yourself, am I a part of a group of people who have lost social capital in recent years or in the recent decades? Um, am I a part of what uh, PRRI has called, you know, white Christian America? Am I, do I recognize that demographically I am losing um, you know, what I used to have in terms of cultural power. And is all of that influencing at all my willingness to believe this theory, this uh, conspiracy theory, that there is some satanic cabal that's making it all happen because it must be evil um, and there must be something or someone to blame. I am talking with Andrew uh, McDonald from the Billy Graham Center at Wheaton. Um, Andrew, why, why, as Christians, specifically as Christians, why are we prone to believe conspiracy theories, and why is that dangerous? Yeah, it, it is. It is. It is a frustrating thing for us when we see some, some people going online and posting things about conspiracy theories, and you just you, you you sit back and you're frustrated over why why are you doing this? And and I think one of the reasons is that Christians, like all people, are susceptible to ways in which people can speak their language, can infiltrate their communities by by targeting specifically the ways that they speak and relate and understand and frame things. And I think that's one thing that QAnon has done very successfully, um, that the language that they use, you mentioned apocalyptic, uh, but also just in the ways that they use the word awakening or revival or and, and inject the even God into the dynamic of good versus evil. Um, these are ways that Christians in America, especially, have spoken for over 100 years in terms of talking about like the Great Awakening and the, se- and, and the Second Great Awakening. Um, these are terms that we hold very dear. And so when QAnon ha- warps these and moves these into the political realm and into political uprising, uh, it's easy for Christians who have, are steeped in this language to kind of get pulled into a, a different stream without even understanding that they ha- that they are sometimes. All right, and then when when my Christian brothers and sisters are drawn in, what do you recommend I do if you know a a person who identifies as a Christian shows up somewhere in my social media feed, probably on Facebook? 
um, with some QAnon stuff. Um, how, how, do I, how do I gently intercede? Well, I think first off, you need to understand that there are different levels of QAnon involvement. Um, mm. there, there are people who are at the top level of, of the conspiracy theory where they are generating the conspiracy theories themselves. They're the ones who are on Reddit, on 4chan, on 8chan, and, and on all the other series of internet forums, and they're looking All right. Uh, so we are not going to suggest uh, that there's a conspiracy theory related to the fact that we have lost Andrew McDonald's connection um, on Skype. But uh, let's uh, let's acknowledge that we live in uh, a time and in a generation where truth really does matter. And so sussing out what is the truth and what is not the truth is imperative for those of us who are Christians. All right, Andrew, um, you're back. So uh, let's pick up where where we where we dropped off. And that is that there is a range of involvement related to QAnon. Some people are actually generating it. Others are um, passing it along intentionally, and others may be passing it along, you know, unintentionally, really un- not knowing what it is. Yeah, sorry about that. The, 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 top, the top level are people who are going to be pass- creating it and passing it along. Um, they're really, they're the ones creating a lot of the QAnon theories. You think about uh, in the last few months, there was the theory around Wayfair that the furniture company was uh, participating in the sex uh, trafficking uh, trade, mainly because they had kind of pieced together, this person had pieced together these things. So that's the highest level. The second level are people who aren't creating it, but are significantly pushing the theory at, theories out there. They're the ones posting all the time with the, with the, um, with hashtags. And we might call these kind of Q evangelists that they are trying to pull people in. And then the third level are people who are just curious. They might post something and they might not even know really who Q is or what Q is. They're just kind of intrigued by uh, what, the, what a meme or something like that might say. So it's important to understand there's these three levels. And uh, at the highest two levels, it, it's not always the best thing to confront and to debate and to engage uh, because this is such, this has become so important to them. Um, sometimes that takes more nuance and prayer and time. People who are on the lower level, you need to understand that they're a lot of the time. What's animating them posting something and being curious about it is the, that there's a lot of underlying issues, especially in the midst of the pandemic. And I've encouraged pastors a lot during this time to try to think through what are the underlying. Uh, needs that Q is meeting in your uh, pews and even sometimes in your, on your staff um, that you can help address. It might be the loneliness from the pandemic that they're feeling that they are cut off from their friends. Uh, and so Q gives them a sense of community. It might be the fear that uh, you mentioned, uh, the loss of white Christian America, uh, you, uh, the loss of kind of sec- moving in towards more secularism in some ways in broader culture. There might be some fear related to that, that we're losing something that is important to us as the church. Um, it might be a lack of purpose that they see what's going on with the marching in the streets, with protests. They might be seeing some of the uh, violence that's happened. They might be seeing some of the uh, political unrest with the election, and they might feel like they need to do something. And so participating in Q makes them feel like they are part of something that's actually having an impact. 
as pastors and as Christians, we need to understand that the gospel gives us answers to all three of those things, uh, far, far greater than Q does. And the response shouldn't be to shame as much as, with this lower level, not so much to shame as to help them understand how the gospel meets that, where, the, where Q and other conspiracy theories don't. Yeah, I love that. Uh, that's exactly what we need to do. I mean, when there's a person who um, is approaching something from what is just clearly a direction where it's not true, I, I don't take the direct, that's not true approach. I just introduce the truth into the conversation, and that moves the conversation or reframes it in a direction that allows for you know the gospel to be poured forth. Andrew McDonald, thank you so very much. Um, really, really appreciate your contribution to this conversation today on Mornings with Carmen. Thank you for having me. Thanks a lot. We'll be right back. All right. There's a lot going on around the world. And so we like to visit with David Aikman on the international headlines and bring the mind of Christ to bear. So that's what's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. This is Max Locato. From heaven's viewpoint, our earth is populated by sightless people. They do not see the meaning of life or the love of God. How else do we explain the confusion and chaos? How else do we explain the constant threat of world war, plagues of hunger, racism, and the holocaust of the unborn? Billions of people simply cannot see. The scripture says, the devil who rules this world has blinded the minds of those who do not believe. They cannot see the light of the good news, the good news about the glory of Christ, who is exactly like God. We need a spiritual ophthalmologist. We need Jesus to do for us what he did for the man on the side of the Jerusalem road. He restored his sight, and he will do the same for us. Remember, my friends, you are never alone. My name is Bond, James Bond. All right, I'm talking today with David Aikman, editor of Godspeed Magazine. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Carmen. Very nice to be with you again. Well, it's wonderful to have you. I'm gonna I'm gonna run through a couple of uh, sentences related to the situation um, emerging in this. Uh, peace discourse between Sudan and Israel. Um, so there's there are probably a lot of people listening who have no idea what the significance of, uh, of a peace agreement between Sudan and Israel um, would would mean. There is a there is a symbolic um, importance to it because um, Sudan is the place where a landmark resolution by a number of Arab states, um, was issued that vowed to shun Israel. And so for for Sudan to now be um, moving in the direction of a tangible peace, not only acknowledging that Israel has the right to exist, but moving into um, agreements with them for trade uh, and, and even migration, I think that's significant. However, the response of some Sudanese people— um, by demonstrating on Friday that the joint statement from Israel and Sudan and the United States would be an ignition of new war um, is troubling as well. So I think that when we talk about the way that the Trump administration is brokering 
peace agreements between Israel and and some of its uh, very hostile neighbors, and we're expecting uh, there to be more of these as we move forward, more of these agreements. We have to remember that not everyone in any one of these given countries is going to be supportive of suddenly seeing Israel as having a right to exist and wanting to do business with them. That's correct. And don't forget that uh, Sudan had a, an Islamist government installed a few years ago, which was obviously supported by a significant chunk of the population. And so uh, it's not surprising that many of those people who were in favor of the Islamist government coming into power would object to Sudan agreeing with Israel on any topic. So that's a natural consequence of the demographic split in the country. Yeah, I think that this is going to be one of those to watch. Um, I mean, certainly any time there is a movement in the direction of peace where there has been uh, war, we are grateful. Um, but I, I got to tell you, I have a little bit of, of breath holding in relationship to um to how this progresses, and I don't want people to imagine that suddenly everyone's heart is going to be warmed to Israel, even if their government gets to the place where there is a, um, you know, there is agreement, let's say, on uh, on trade and migration. All right, um, let's let's talk about Bob Fu and China. First of all, who is Bob Fu, and what is going on with this story? Oh, he's on the phone right now, so I'll uh, I'll start the briefing in on um, on this conversation. Um, so um, we've got uh, Bob Fu, and we've got him living here in the United States of America, but we have uh, the Chinese government um, openly targeting him. So let's uh, let's talk about this story of Bob Fu and China. Bob Fu is a wonderful. Chinese who started off as a dissident in uh, after 1989, he started protesting uh, against what the Chinese communists had done to suppress the Tiananmen student democracy uprising. And he came to the United States because he was pregnant. His wife was pregnant. And according to Chinese law at the time, the one-child policy required any woman who was pregnant without permission to get pregnant should undergo a compulsory abortion. So they fled China, came to the United States. I met them soon after they arrived in 1997. And in 2002, he established a group called China Aid or the China Aid Association. The website is ChinaAid.org. And it was dedicated to speaking out on behalf of Chinese Christians and other minorities in China, minorities of faith, who were being persecuted by the Chinese government. And all of a sudden, starting this year, Bob Fu began to get these nasty uh, messages through uh, Facebook and so on from a man called uh, Guo Renwei. That was his Mandarin name. He also goes by the name of Miles Hawk. 
This is a very interesting and rather troubling character. He was a billionaire in China. He got into an argument with the Chinese government, which is not surprising. He had law cases against him by other Chinese corporate types. And he came to the United States on a tourist visa several years ago. He's trying to get um, political asylum status, but he's not getting it, largely because he has associations with a lot of sort of remarkable people, probably not very savory people. And he started recruiting his followers to protest visibly outside the headquarters of ChinaA.org of of, uh, Bob Fu in Midland, Texas. So here you have a Chinese communist recruiting followers in the United States to protest and act to actively harass uh, an American citizen, Bob Fu is an American citizen right now, in a city that provided two American presidents in the last two decades, George H.W. Bush, um, who left office in 1993, and George W. Bush, or Bush 43, who served as president from uh, 2000 and, uh, um, to 2001 to 2008, so it's 2009. So it's a very disturbing situation. And Bob Fu has got support from various senators and representatives. But he told me in his interview that although the mayor of Midland is defending him. He's had to go into a safe house somewhere in the city. He's not getting much word from Washington, but the FBI and other law enforcement higher up are really paying enough attention to this. So it's a very disturbing case. Of the right. Yeah, I mean. Con- I think part of the challenge here, right, is sussing out the truth and recognizing that um, depending where in the United States you move, you make different kinds of friends. And Bob Fu's friends are in Midland, Texas, and in evangelical Christianity, where, uh, you know, through which China Aid has been supported. And he does have, you know, friends across the country. Um, This other guy uh, moved to New York City and bought a very lavish, fancy apartment overlooking New York City's uh, Central Park uh, deployed his fortune in friend-making and cultivated friendships with the now-president Donald yeah. Trump, uh, Rudy Giuliani, Steve Bannon, on and on and on. So it's, uh, it, you know, it's it. this is one of those situations where um, Bob Fu's friends are not in as uh, uh, high a place as, uh, as Miles Kwok friends, even though um, Bob Fu is now a U.S. citizen and Miles Kwok has overstayed his... Uh, his visitor's visa by a number of years. I mean, on and on and on. It's a it's a complicated story. It's got a lot of uh, political intrigue in it. And I think that for Christians, we got to be praying for our brother Bob, um, and we got to be praying for the organization China, China Aid, which in the midst of this has shut down its offices 
because of these paid protesters who are, you know, continually brought in by the busload um, and being paid by uh, by Miles Kwok um, or Guao Wingwei as uh, as he goes by. So it's a it's a complicated story. I don't think it's going away. David, I wanted to brief our audience in on it this morning. You and I need to take a quick break. Um, when we come back, we've got another a, a number of other international headlines to cover. I am talking with David Aikman, and we'll be right back. Continuing my conversation with David Aikman from Godspeed Magazine, there are always so many international headlines that we could draw to the fore in our conversations. Um, David, let's pick up this one. France recalls ambassador to Turkey over Erdogan's comments on Macron. What in the world is going on here? Well, the backdrop to this story is that a French teacher was decapitated by a man in a school outside Paris because he had revealed the cartoons that showed uh, the Prophet Muhammad being sort of insulted by, well, actually, the, the cartoon was made of the Prophet Muhammad. And the teacher was saying, as a result of this cartoon, uh, a French magazine uh, was closed down and it was actually attacked by Islamist uh, people uh, Islamist people living in France. And that led to a series of backlashes against Islamist presence in France. And uh, Macron, you know, made some very negative statements about religious minorities who were using the advantage of the French system of freedom basically to abuse their freedom. And as a result, Erdogan, the president of Turkey, said that he felt that Macron, the head of state of a neighboring country, needed to have a psychological examination, which, of course, is an incredible insult from one head of state to another. And as a result of that, uh, as you mentioned, the French ambassador had been withdrawn and the Turks have really got to think of what relationship they want to have with France and the European Union because it's very volatile at this point. Yeah, and let's not forget in the midst of this, I mean, Turkey is technically um, a NATO partner, but has been behaving very, very badly um, on many fronts. And, you know, we have talked over the course of time, David, about Erdogan's own, you know, Islamist ideology and, um, you know, sort of his personal desire to uh, to be sovereign over um, a caliphate at some point. Like we we sort of like know that's his thinking. That's the direction he's seeking to take his own country um, and the direction that he sees for um, for Islam in the world. And so we, I do feel like we have arrived at the point where even in France, which has been one of the places absolutely most hospitable um, to people fleeing the, the Syrian war and other conflicts around the globe, um, it has been very, very accommodating. It has uh, welcomed millions of, uh, of refugees. 
And those refugees have come with their faith, and they are people of Islamic faith, and they view it as, um, well, obviously a capital crime um, to in any way picture the Prophet Muhammad. And so we do have a, a clash of cultures here, and um, it's a, um, a, you know, it's, I, I, I sigh and I take a long pause because, um, you know, I don't see a simple solution to any of this. Well, I don't think it's possible until um, Erdogan backs off from his, his Islamist push and the French make clear that the emphasis on secularity, secularism, does not include specific persecution of other faiths, but simply requires other faiths to conform to the norms of French society and culture, which, unfortunately, the Islamists have not been doing. Yeah, because that's pluralism. I mean, that's genuine pluralism. All right, so um, let's let's leave that one there, and let's um, let's talk about this really crazy, weird story. These mysterious illnesses of U.S. diplomats and spies. We got like two minutes to cover this, but I think people will be really interested to know what's going on. Well, that's right. Um, of course, uh, the American consulate and the American embassy in China have been subjected to a lot of very strange disruptions. And in one of the concerts, there was played a very disturbing high-pitched sound that caused uh, mental damage in the diplomat staying there. And so they had to withdraw all the diplomats who'd been subjected to this harassment promptly from the premises. And it's a a very disturbing trend to have any countries that disagree with each other, obviously, as China and U.S. do, resorting to painful measures against the diplomatic representatives of the other country living in, in this case, in China. So I, I hope that the Chinese will back off that and will return to more normal diplomatic behavior. Yeah, and, and it looks like uh, you know Russia is involved um, as well. It's a it's some bad actors out there, and we all recognize it. But the stories of spies in, intrigue us all. So. Uh, David Aikman, thank you, as always, for joining us. Um, we appreciate your your input and um, your willingness to uh, survey the international headlines so that we can talk about them here on Mornings with Carmen. Well, Carmen, thank you for having me on. I always enjoy it. Uh, absolutely. Have a blessed week. We'll be right back. All right, I got one uh, one good news story to share with you um, on the international front. So there is a Michelin star chef in New York City, and he is leveraging his um, relationships uh, and his financial wherewithal to actually feed uh, millions of people in in India. He has organized one of the world's largest food drives. 
Um, it's called Feed India, and it has fed about 50 million people in the nation of India who are struggling to provide for their families during the coronavirus pandemic. Um, here's a guy who takes his area of expertise, applies uh, technology and his uh, and leverages the relationships that he has both here and around the world to make a real difference in the lives of hurting people. Um, that is what it means to be neighbor, even halfway around the world. And so for you today, it might mean um, getting an extra sack of groceries and taking it to a neighbor in need or taking it to your local food distribution center. I know that the uh, the food bank in Houston, which is the largest in the country, um, is serving like a million pounds of food a day. That's the That's the need just in that one city. A lot of need out there. Let's each one be doing our part to alleviate um, the hurt of others in the midst of, of all the strife. And let's be walking the gospel out into the world that God so loves. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.